Well, happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the FYI podcast, where we talk about faith, life, adulting, relationships, and so much more. I'm Micah Keneally, one of your hosts, and Josiah is actually off with the two little girlies today, having some fun, doing some mini golfing, having a father-daughter date in the process of the recording of this podcast. But you as a listener, you are asking questions, you are posing questions, if you're 18 to 30, that you're just trying to adult, and some of you are extreme adulting, meaning that you are buying homes, you're getting married, you're having children, or maybe you're just starting out and you're just trying to figure out where am I going to go next in life? And we know that that can be taxing, it can be exhausting, but it can also be so much fun. So the goal of this podcast is to unpack one of your questions, point you to the word of God, and hopefully share some insight along the way. And we just want to end your weekend strong and begin your weekend even stronger. So every single Friday, we dump off a new episode in the box where you can look back on the hundreds of episodes where we are unpacking some incredible questions. So if you want to rate, review, subscribe, let your friends know whether you're on the treadmill, in the classroom, leading the floor, in Bible studies, or maybe you're just trying to figure out how do I reach the people around me in my workplace, there's probably an episode for you. And if you have a question, we'd love for you to get in contact with us and let us know how we can come alongside you, how we can pray, and how we can hopefully help you wrestle through some of the questions of which you are up against or feel like you're navigating in this season and in this day and age. So welcome to the FY podcast once again. I get the honor and privilege of being with one of my friends today. Her name is Aliza Silky. Aliza, welcome to the FY podcast. How are you? Thank you. Doing great. So joy to oh, be here. So it is so fun to have you. And Okay, so I call her Aliza just because I know her personally, but she goes by Elizabeth Silky. If you do not know her, she's a wonderful person, and she is just a wonderful friend and just doing incredible things for God's kingdom. And she's a licensed professional clinical counselor, also known as an LC. LPCC, and Aliza received her Master's of Arts in Counseling Psychology from the University of St. Thomas back in 2011. She works with children, teens, women, couples, and families. She also enjoys helping people with a variety of topics. And I'm sure we all can relate to one or more of these, including anxiety, depression, trauma, relationship is issues, parent-teen conflicts, we're going to be there soon enough, spiritual issues, and women issues. She is a DPT-trained, EMDR-certified, and also a CBT. I don't know all those things, but I know that they're all important. So she takes a collaborative approach, which I absolutely love with her clients, and integrates faith into the counseling process if they do so choose. And she's also specializes in treating the third culture kids at this. And it is incredible to see that she can do this on her personal experience and just come alongside so many people on so many levels. So Aliza, if there's anything that I missed in the description, let our audience know just maybe a little bit about who you are first and foremost, if there's anything I missed. Um, yeah, thanks for the introduction. I also am married and have four kids and love being mom and wife and, and therapist. I think it's one of the greatest honors um, to be able to walk alongside people that are going through some of their most vulnerable, challenging moments in life and to be trusted to kind of walk alongside as a um, as a guide and a, a person to be on, on the journey alongside of them is, is a really huge honor. So I really enjoy my work. I find it really rewarding and um, glad to be able to talk about it a little bit today. 
Awesome. Well, we are so excited to have you. I say we because it's me and Josiah. He's not here, but we at FYI. And I just want to kind of lean into that first question that I think many of our listeners, maybe they've come from church or there's some form of church that's happened in their background, but there's also this potential stigma that we've been living in and somewhere it's been surrounded with shame and when it comes to mental illness within the Christian world or Christian community. And, and to that point that we've had young adults, um, direct message us and specifically ask on this podcast, if podcast, if it's okay, uh, for Christians to kind of wrestle and struggle and to see a therapist outside of their pastor. And I would just start off, how can you break that down from the stigma to the misconceptions, to the unhealthiness, as well as therapist to pastor, all those different dynamics? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that the misunderstanding there is that mental health is viewed kind of in an overly simplistic way. I think, unfortunately, um, church world has given us this message that if we just pray more or read our Bible more, um, or sin less, then we will just not struggle with mental health. And that simply isn't the case. Um, you know, it, it would be the same as me saying like, well, if you just, um, you know, ate better and exercised healthier, you would be cured from your cancer. Like, well, <laughs> I'm sure eating healthier and exercising might help your overall physical health, but that's not going to magically make it so that you don't struggle with an actual um, health condition. And so it's important to recognize that mental health is a health condition and that we are whole people. I think I'd really like to kind of introduce this concept of, of us being whole people and us having multiple aspects to our whole self and all of them are part of our mental health. Um, I would say the first part would be our bodies. We have, obviously we are physical beings and um, our bodies are going to very much impact our mental health. Um, and then we also have our spiritual health, which is one component that the church likes to focus on, right, as the primary aspect. But I would say all of these things, God created our whole being. So I, I believe all of these aspects are vitally important, our body, our spirits and our spiritual health, and then our minds and our, our psychological you know, our minds, our thoughts, our feelings, our psychological health, all three of those areas um, are part of our whole person health. And so if we're struggling with mental health, it would make sense that we seek help holistically. And so certainly it's great to meet with a pastor. It's great to be involved in a church community. It's great to get some prayer support. It's great to get some believers around you um, that you can wrestle through some questions with. Um, it's great to dive into God's word and, and, you know, seek encouragement and sharpening it through God's word. Absolutely. Um, but if we limit our help to just that one component of ourselves, then we're really, really, really missing out because we're whole people. And so it's important also to be looking at that biological aspect and what kind of help or support do we need for our, bio, our biology and what kind of help and support do we need for our minds with our, that's kind of psychological aspect of ourselves. And so um, 
you know, this question was pertaining specifically to a counselor and the counselors are going to specialize in the psychological aspect of helping us, right? And so we're going to be diving into our emotions, our thoughts, um, the behavior patterns that are at play, the, the uh, long-standing maybe trauma or painful experiences that we've walked through there um, have scientifically based research-based interventions to be able to help us with that to help us shift our thinking to help us heal traumatic experiences to help us uh, learn effective skills to manage our emotions and to engage effectively in relationships and so um, it's really wonderful to have a professional who specializes in that part of our health, guiding us through that aspect of this whole person health journey. Um, and then also to with mental health, it's important to get a biological helper as well. And so that could be as simple as seeking some guidance with exercise and nutrition and just overall good health habits. Um, but sometimes, you know, that's not quite sufficient. And sometimes we need to look at a supplement or a medication and that's also okay. And it's, it's makes sense that we would sometimes need professional guidance in that. Just like exercise and nutrition isn't going to cure cancer, we're probably going to need a doctor to help us with that. Sometimes when we're dealing with a, a true mental health thing, we, we are going to need some medication to help with that, and that's okay. Um, and so my, my answer to that question about is it okay to see a therapist is like, yes, please do. Um, pastors are there to help you with your spiritual health. Counselors are there to help you with your psychological health. And, you know, doctors or health coaches or people like that are there to help with your biological health. And all three of them are vitally important. I love that. And so Josiah and I are obviously pastors. We've come across a lot of young adults who are um, going through a mental health crisis, or maybe they feel overwhelmed and they don't really, they had like they experienced the delayed stress of like all these different things that have happened in their life, which are forms of trauma, some you would say, which are life life-changing events. It could be a death in the family. It could be uh, you move out for the very first time. It could be you got out of a, a relationship that maybe you knew that never should have been in. Like you're able to, and willing to kind of coach through some of those traumas and those undercurrents of what could be taking place. For the pastor, like you're saying, it's our job specifically, like we're not trained and licensed like you are, but it is our opportunity to say like, hey, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Is there spiritual? Are you spiritually growing? Do you feel healthy in this way? Like even in Romans, it talks about like our thoughts and our minds and how deeply entrenched our negative thoughts and traumas can trigger things in and through us in which then becomes a potential behavioral problem or a pattern that can be lived out that we don't even know that's there, or we don't even know that we've adopted it or that we've kind of walked you know, in and through something. And then there's the other component. I used to be a personal trainer. So I understand elements, not all of them, but elements of and the importance of exercise and nutrition and supplementing and on my own personal health journey of going to a holistic doctor on the hormonal level, on the chemical level, on the adrenal gland level to help supplement some of the things after two children that my body had been depleted of, not by choice, obviously, but by just birthing children and just that process at large. But for the young adult listener who maybe is not in the same season as, as I am, or 
other people at my, my age. Um, I know when we meet with many young adults, it seems as if they're, they're scared to ask some of the questions and they're scared to lean into their own messy. And I would just say, Hey, it's okay not to be okay, but it's also not okay to stay there. So to seek out people like yourself, what do you, how would you encourage the young adults in the sense of what do they need to know about themselves when it comes to mental health? Like, how would you encourage them to dig a little deeper in that process? Yeah, I think if you're if you're noticing some struggles and some challenges, um, it it is one of the most courageous things you can do to acknowledge that there's a bit of a struggle and to ask for help from the appropriate person to help guide you. Um, it is the one of the most courageous things you can do. If we make that courageous choice, we can get on a path toward healing toward restored relationships, toward relief from suffering, um, toward strength, toward resilience, um, lots of beautiful things. And that health that you pursue individually impacts generations to come, right? That's going to impact your significant other. That's going to impact any children you may have in the future. That's going to impact people in your workplace or in your school environment, that's going to impact just your friends and the community around you. When we are healthy, everybody wins. Everyone around us wins. Right. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think the, the church has sometimes given us the message that it's not okay to be messy, that we need to kind of put on our best face and everything is fine and, and just keep praying and worshiping and you'll, you'll be fine. And, and that's, that's not always realistic. You know, sometimes we struggle and sometimes things are messy. And I, when I look at scripture, I see so many examples all through scripture of people's mess (laughs) and God still used them significantly. Some specific people that especially come to mind, um, would first one would be Moses. He really struggled with lots of identity issues and a lot of self-doubt. And yet God used him to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Like, whoa, he's a Mm -hmm. biblical hero. And he had, he had identity and self-doubt issues big time. Um, I think about Gideon. He had lots of fear and lots of doubt. And he became this mighty hero in the Bible. Um, I think about Elijah. Um, He told God he just had enough. And he even came to the point where he asked God to take his life, right? Um, We we, we know people or maybe ourselves have experienced some suicidal thoughts even at times. And Elijah was one of those people. And yet he was one of God's renowned prophets. So God isn't afraid of mess. Um, I think of David, you know, he was, he engaged in adultery, murder. He, we see in his Psalms that at times he was very, very depressed. And yet God says, Hey, this is a man after God's own heart. So there's just mess everywhere (laughs) and God embraces the messy individuals and he uses them powerfully. The last example I'll give you is Peter. Um, He was somebody who just had these really big extreme emotions like up and down and kind of impulsive. And um, he was had these big mood swings. It seems like when we study him in scripture and yet God, Jesus said, you are the rock of the church. 
So I just encourage you that if, if you're struggling, it's okay. <laughs> it's part of being human. And whether your struggle is big or small, the most courageous thing you can do is to keep growing and to keep pursuing health. Wherever you're at, keep, just take that next step toward health, toward healing, toward wholeness. That's what God wants from us. And, and that's how we can serve him best. I think that's so good. I think one of my prayers have been actually for me specifically, this is a personal goal I had in 2023 is like, Lord, help me to become the best version of myself and truly breaking that down physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, psychological, and all of those components. Like we asked, like you talked about at the beginning, they all are interwoven. Like they cannot be separated, even though like my human mind wants to compartmentalize those oh. things or set those goals up. Like what are my fitness goals? What are my spiritual goals? Like even on my list, it's compartmentalized, but they're all actually the, this bowl of spaghetti that is messy to unfold. Right. And I think sometimes, um, it takes a humble heart to come into the office and say, I need help. It takes a humble heart to come in front of a team and say, I have fallen short. And I think when, when we allow pride to creep in pride, um, is the, is the thief of joy on so many different levels. Pride robs us of an opportunity to become our best selves because it's our, prideful heart that has to admit that we're not perfect. And I think when we read the Bible, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not alone. God knows. Like if he chose these people, he can use a donkey, like he can use anybody. And I think when we start taking responsibility for our own health on all those different levels, breakthrough can really happen. And the best version of ourselves is on the other side of the mountain, which may be messy and may be scary, but it's also so freeing when you're being put in those situations or you're being challenged to, to leave um, a therapy session and be like, Oh my gosh, they gave me this assignment. I have to dig deeper. Like, I don't want to open up that skeleton, like closet. Like I just would rather push it shut and ignore it. But if we ignore those small things, they become big things. And if we're willing to lie a little, we're willing to probably lie bigger and more along the way, which like you already said, affects not only us as individuals, it affects our workplaces, our future marriages, our parenting, our family tree, the, our life, our legacy, and ultimately the kingdom of God. So when we decide to become the best version of ourselves and to take initiative, um, many people would initially turn to the church at least of millennials and probably the generations above. Whereas Gen Z, they might turn to YouTube, they might turn to social media, maybe an influencer that they really admire. Maybe they have a pastor like across country that they've never met that I worship with every Tuesday night, but I got this on Sunday. Like, And they're not actually grounded physically in any location. And um, I think it's an incredible opportunity for the church to lean into a generation and lean into an unnecessary stigma that we've maybe placed on ourselves or the world is placed on therapy or mental illness or depression, anxiety, like all those things. How can we as young adults like approach the church when it comes to needing help? Because sometimes the church has skirted around the issue. They don't know how to lean into the issue. Uh, what approach would you maybe encourage the church listener who's like tuning in today when they need help, like where do they turn and how can they, they've already went to God. Right. And they just, they need something more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to recognize that you're, you're seeking spiritual help and that's only going to be part of the help that you need. So I think realistic expectations are important here. So 
um, if you're turning to the church for help to resolve your childhood trauma, well, <laughs> that's, that's probably not what the church is going to be strong at. Um, the church can pray for you as you seek a trauma therapist to help you resolve your childhood trauma. The church could um, encourage you with your spiritual disciplines to stay connected to God through, you know, a daily devotional time and through being engaged to a supportive church community. But the church isn't going to be able to treat a mental illness. You need to go to a professional to treat a mental illness. So I think it's important to just have realistic expectations when you're going to a church to a church for help to recognize that these people can help me with the spiritual aspect of this, but they're not able to help me actually treat the, the psychological part of it or the biological part of it. I might need to seek other help for those aspects. Um, and the other part of things that I just want to say is, you know, churches have very frequently hurt people in this area. And I hope that if you reach out to a church that you do not have a hurtful experience, but I do um, counsel a lot of Christian clients who have had hurtful experiences. And so I just want to acknowledge the reality that that is happening more frequently than we wish it would. And it's coming from very well-intentioned people in church world who are not very well prepared to respond to mental health issues. And they're causing people to feel badly for struggling. And I just want to apologize for on the behalf of churches that we've that we have kind of responded poorly in many, in many ways. And um, if you are, if you have experienced hurt, or if you do experience hurt in your future, I just, um, I, I just encourage you to, to try to separate that out that, you know, God, we see in scripture that God did not, you know, shame people who were struggling. God actually um, used those people. So um, please know that that is not God's heart. God's heart is that he wants to use you. He wants to see, see you grow and to be healed. And, and he wants to be with you in the midst of the messiness and the struggle. Um, yeah. Those That's beautiful. Yeah. And I just want to echo what Elisa is saying there. Truly, like as a pastor, I do want to apologize for the person who has been hurt by the church because it can be hurtful and it can feel heaping of shame or guilt that pray more, read more Bible verses. That's not necessarily the case. Like we already talked about earlier. And to know that the expectations that you talked about, Elisa, I think is wonderful for the listener, knowing that the church's training was not on mental health. It was on spiritual growth. It was development. It was putting together um, church services. It is unpacking scripture. It is so much more um, of that side of things. And, and I'm not saying you can't go to the church and say, hey, do you have a list of referrals or people that you know that are Christian counselors? Because I know when I lived back in North Dakota, people would come in and we actually had a list of referrals that were Christian counselors that would come alongside any person who kind of submitted their stuff. And I said, Hey, I know so-and-so um, our church doesn't actually do anything like this, but we do have people who attend this church. who are willing to give of their services to this extent. Here's who they are. Here's what they do. Here's their number. So I think 
and it's not a handoff. It's not saying like, well, you're not our problem. Go figure it out with somebody else. That's not the heart behind it. It was, it was simply saying like, Hey, we're not trained in this, but we know people who are, and they love Jesus. And we know that you as a Christian want to hopefully be um, counseled by a Christian counselor, just to kind of help pull out those faith factors. And, um, I just think that's beautiful to know that if you are attending a church, maybe ask the front desk, like, Hey, do you guys have any referrals? Cause I'm just in need of some counseling. I don't, you probably don't do the X, Y, and Z here, but do you have a list? And I'm not to say every church does, but there are some that do that could hopefully point you in the right direction. Um, and f- hopefully help you get plugged into where you need to go. And Aliza, Josiah and I work with a lot of young adults, obviously, and I always say that because we do, and it's so much fun. Um, but when it comes to just anxiety at large, I think we come a lot of across a lot of young adults, maybe even millennials, people in their 50s. We all struggle with elements and forms of anxiety at large. That's just that's part of humanity, right? So what's the difference between like daily anxiety that we all experience on the daily versus a full-on anxiety disorder? Sure, sure. That line can be a little bit blurry, right? Um, So I would say, first of all, that stress is part of life, right? Everyone experiences stress uh, to varying degrees throughout the course of life. And it's normal to have reactions to stress, like um, trouble sleeping or really feeling worried or tense or maybe being a little bit irritable or grumpy toward people around us or maybe we feel it in our bodies and we get like a a headache or a stomach ache or things like that Um, and those can be kind of within the normal ranges of just human life where we just have some reactions to stressors Um, an anxiety disorder it can be confusing to tell the difference because an anxiety disorder often includes the very same symptoms that i just mentioned um and and can be other symptoms too anxiety there's a whole range of various anxiety disorders with various symptoms um but it can be the same symptoms that could be normal but it's to a different degree and so a person with anxiety a true anxiety disorder will have those symptoms even in the absence of stressors. Um, And the symptoms still persist even when the stressor is resolved or has decreased, um, the symptoms are still there. Also, the symptoms really cause a high degree of distress for that person. It's, it really is very upsetting to that person. And so there's a little bit of subjectivity in this too, like how upsetting are these symptoms to me and how distressing they are is, is kind of subjective for each person to acknowledge on their own, but that's a factor that kind of can tip it over the edge to being an actual disorder if it's extremely distressing to you or if it really impairs the person's functioning, you know, so if it's starting to hinder their ability to work effectively or engage effectively in relationships or achieve their goals in life, things like that, then that also would kind of tip that over the threshold of being an actual disorder. Um, Maybe an example could be a typical stressor might be like, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed about money. Money is a little bit tight. And so maybe I lose a little sleep over that or I feel worried and I kind of try to figure out some solutions. What am I going to do about this? And, um, and, and then as the stressor resolves, then the the stress reaction goes down, that would be kind of like a typical stress response that wouldn't be an anxiety disorder. Um, Somebody with an anxiety disorder, on the other hand, would feel those 
same symptoms maybe, but they would, the symptoms would be there, whether the financial stressor went up or down, the symptoms would still be there. So, um, you know, they, money might be tight and they might even make some strides toward resolving the financial problem, but they still feel anxious or maybe they're anxious about money and their relationships and this and this and this and this and this, and they're anxious about 15 different things. Um, and they're worried all the time. They feel that they have little, very little control over the worry. Um, maybe it sometimes causes panic attacks. Maybe it's based in trauma where they're past traumatic experiences are flaring up the anxiety that can be all different flavors of anxiety. Um, but it, it really reaches a threshold where it's highly distressing to the individual and it starts to really interfere with their functioning. So maybe, um, the, the anxiety symptoms have been present for so long. They're not sleeping. They're very irritable. Now their marriage is starting to struggle because they're just grumpy all the time. Or maybe they're not showing up to work because they're constantly oversleeping. Uh, things like that would be, okay, this is hindering your functioning and now this is a disorder. That's so good. That's helpful just to know and hopefully be able to identify as a listener, whether maybe you do struggle with anxiety as a listener and you find yourself more on the, the, the lighter side of things. Like, like she, I love the example that you use about finances, like, oh my gosh, these finances are hanging over my head. Mm -hmm. the, the financial stress or the financial problem goes away. The stress is a little eliminated, you know, um, but maybe you find yourself and you are on the other side where you're in constant, I don't know if it's a fight or flight mode inside your body. That's kind of constantly going, this is, I'm not trained in this. So don't take that. Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can have those. I've had those moments where it's like, oh my gosh, my anxiety just went through the roof. And it's our bodies responding to things around us in a good way, because we know we need to take care of something, but I don't want to stay planted there. And sometimes people don't necessarily have a choice or they're not able to identify those things until maybe they step into a counselor's office and they're able to say, oh yeah, this and this and all these things have happened. And I know that I saw it across from some women in ministry and um, whether they're young adults or they're in ministry themselves. And it seems as if, I don't want to say everybody's like this, but it seems as if there's a lot of self-diagnosis going around and it's not just anxiety. Like I think I have, I, I remember when I was sick and I was pregnant, I was like, either I'm pregnant or I have COVID. That's how some of those symptoms were going. I'm like, okay, it turns out I was pregnant way back in 2021, you know, and I'm just like, okay, either I have COVID or I'm pregnant. Like, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, but even in anxiety disorders, you said that they're very comparable, but it's to what extreme are they different? So when it comes to people who maybe find themselves in the Google trap and they get pigeonholed and they just start funneling down. I know I have some family members who like get on Google, like Google said, I'm like, okay, Google said, but have you stepped foot into a doctor's office? Like by the time we're done with this, we become, I don't know, we have two days to live. <laughs> I don't know. It can become that extreme in some cases. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, many people are self-diagnosing, but what is the proper way to actually go about getting a diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. The, the right place to start is with a therapist. A therapist can diagnose somebody. And I, I think there's a lot of terms like therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor. What, what are we talking about? So I'll first clarify. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor in a, who specializes in mental illness and will likely prescribe you a medication. So I'm not talking about psychiatrists. <laughs> I'm talking about therapists, counselors, 
clinical social workers, licensed marriage and family therapists, and psychologists. All of those people either have a master's degree or a doctoral degree in um, psych psychological care, and they are able to diagnose. Um, typically, a diagnosis is able to be completed through a clinical interview, which basically means that you go in and you talk with the, with the professional. They ask you a lot of questions about your history, um, your family history, your current situation, your current symptoms. Um, they ask you what you're looking to be different, what you what's what's brought you in what's troubling you what would you like to be different and through the course of that conversation um they can you know ask some clarifying questions to help discern is this an anxiety disorder and if so which which of the many anxiety disorders is it um is this a depressive disorder if it is which of the many depressive disorders is this is this based in trauma what you know lots and lots of questions are running through the clinician's mind and they're asking clarifying questions to to clarify what is going on that process um usually takes uh, at least one or two sessions to kind of really get to know somebody, uh, to get their history, to ask those clarifying questions. If there's a really complicated situation, maybe it could take a little bit longer, but typically for, for you know, uh, most challenges, we're, we're completing that diagnostic evaluation within one or two sessions. And the clinician is then able to say like, all right, this is how I'm wrapping my head around your situation. I hear this, I hear this, I hear this, I hear these symptoms. And so I think that you're struggling with this and they will provide um, a, a diagnostic category that they believe that you fit into. And then they're offering hopefully a treatment plan of, you know, this is how we help treat these things. You, we recommend that you also see a, a prescriber in addition to your therapy. And we recommend this type of therapy or that type of therapy. Um, I'm able to provide that therapy for you, or you need a type of therapy that I actually don't specialize in. So I'm going to refer you to somebody who does specialize in that. But they, that, that's that first step is meeting with somebody. You got to get into the field somehow. And meeting with a therapist is typically your entry point into the field. And then if you need, um, if you need actual psychological testing, which would be um, a little bit more of a comprehensive um, test when there's a, some confusion or a more complex situation that a clinical interview isn't able to, to answer for you, then they would refer you to a, a somebody who does psychological testing. Um, or if you need medication, they would be referring you to a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse to be able to prescribe those things for you. But you got to start somewhere and the therapist is the entry point. Um, and, you know, some people will struggle with like, oh, I met with this person once, but I just, I don't know, I didn't really feel it. Um, and my, my guidance there would be, you got to give it a few sessions, okay? Good. So, those first session, the first session or two really is very different from what it will be like to work with that person in a counseling situation, because our first couple of sessions are really geared toward understanding the problem and trying to come up with a diagnosis and trying to come up with a treatment plan. And so there's a, an important task that the therapist is trying to accomplish. And so the first couple of sessions are going to feel pretty different than the third and subsequent sessions. The third and subsequent sessions are probably going to be a bit more conversational. Um, you're going to get to feel what it 
experience what it feels like to actually work on the problem with the therapist. And, and so you really need to give it about three sessions before you're going to know, is this person the right person to help me or not? And maybe it's not, maybe it's not the right person. If you've given it three sessions and it's really not clicking for you, you're maybe not feeling heard or understood. You're not feeling safe with the person then it's time to seek a different referral. And that's okay. It can take a, it can take a try or two to find the right person. Um, but oftentimes if we stick with it for a few sessions, it ends up being a great fit. Um, particularly if you've um, found the person through a trusted referral source, you know, like if your church has that list of referrals, like Micah was talking to, or maybe you know another believer who um, who sees a Christian therapist, or maybe you're listening to podcasts <laughs> that have referrals or things like that, but you're trying to start with a trusted referral to begin with that can eliminate a lot of a lot of potentially negative experiences and then you're giving it a few tries and then they should be able to help you with the diagnosis and a treatment plan from there. I love that. It's so good and so helpful. And I just have one last question. This is not in our notes, but I just want to end with this. Um, Elise, if you could encourage somebody who maybe has not been in therapy yet, maybe who has not yet been diagnosed, but maybe they're we live in the Midwest, so we know that sad disorder is a real thing. Even for me, like come February, if I'm not taking vitamin D and like the supplements and everything that I should be taking, I'm like, I just feel slower and groggier. And it's even just like a physical thing. It's not always a mental thing for me, but some people are like, oh my gosh, I feel it. Do you have any insight or encouragement for maybe just somebody who lives in a different climate where it's a little darker? I know in Alaska, they have one of the top um, suicide rates because of all like, I don't know, was it 20 hours of darkness, 22 hours of darkness. And sometimes of the year you're like, oh my gosh, you guys live in the dark. How do your bodies, how do we do that? So when it comes to like a seasonal affective disorder, it's also S. SAD, sad disorder. I remember studying this way back in high school, but is that a true disorder or is it something that we can just supplement during that time of the year? What does that look like? Or how would you encourage somebody who maybe lives in a different climate like we do here in the Midwest? Mm -hmm. First thing is to notice a pattern. If we have a seasonal affective disorder, then there would be a true pattern to it where you notice a consistent pattern of when fall and winter are really hard for me. And I do, I do a lot better during the spring and summer. And so when there's a true pattern like that, then typically that's a sign that your body is not, um, not doing as well with less daylight and some people's bodies do not do as well when there is less hours of daylight. So some key things to be, um, doing if if that pattern fits you would be to make sure that you're taking enough vitamin D. And this is, you know, again, where the psychological overlaps with the biological, right? Vitamin D would be a biological thing, but it's very much impacting our psychological part of ourselves. And so um, if you're wondering, you know, am I getting, I take vitamin D, but I still feel this way. Am I getting enough vitamin D? You can get a lab done to test whether, where your vitamin D level is at. And then based on that lab result, a doctor can recommend like you need to up your dosage or, um, or maybe it's at a good level. So maybe this is, maybe we need to pursue a different answer because your vitamin D level looks good. So if in doubt, you know, seek, seek medical care for that to, to check on your vitamin D levels. Um, and then another um, intervention that tends to be helpful is called light 
therapy. And that is a special light that you can purchase on Amazon. <laughs> um, I think they cost around $50 the last time I checked. And um, it's a light that you would set up. Um, like if I was, I'm looking at my computer right now. So I would set it off to the side of my computer and I would turn it on for about 15, 20 minutes each morning while I'm maybe reading my emails or you know doing some stuff on my screen and the light would be hitting my eyes, but I wouldn't be directly looking at the light. And so it's a particular type of light that helps with the seasonal depression. And it, it, if we hit that light, our eyes absorb that light in the morning, 15 to 20 minutes a day consistently, then that tends to be extremely effective in treating um, seasonal depression. These things do take time though. So, you know, if you're deficient in vitamin D, you're going to need to take vitamin D for a while in order to notice the effectiveness, um, probably about a month. Also the same with light therapy. You got to do it for about a month before you really feel the benefits because it takes time for your body chemistry to get what it needs and to actually shift to the point where you can notice the effects of it. Um, an antidepressant is the same. An antidepressant typically takes about four weeks to know if it's going to be effective or not. So it's, it's just part of your biology that it's taking some time for the, everything to kind of rebalance and be, be changing at a degree to, that we can notice. Um, and if, if the vitamin D and light therapy are not cutting it, then of course you can always talk with the doctor about an actual medication. We could talk with a natural provider about a supplement. Um, and then therapy would certainly be recommended, um, as well. That's so good. Okay. Aliza, our time is coming to an end, but I just want to leave one question for you and you can take it any way you want. If you could encourage the young adult, the 18 to 30 year old tuning in when it comes to, mental illness, when it comes to own, our own personal health, how would you want to encourage them today? If you could leave them with one word of encouragement or hope, what would you want to say to them? Mm. I would encourage people to engage in a practice that is life-changing. I would encourage people to engage in a daily exercise of mindfulness or self-reflection of just being aware of how am I doing? Where am I at? What am I feeling today? What am I thinking about? Where's my stress level? Have I been caring for myself? Okay. How are my relationships doing? Um, what's been on my mind lately? Um, there's a significant amount of research that shows that if we will take time to just be aware of what's going on in us and around us, even just five minutes a day, that our um, anxiety and stress level goes way down. Our ability to cope effectively with life goes way up <laughs> and it is just life-changing. So I think a lot of times we're just on autopilot going throughout our lives. Like, oh, it's a work day, get up, go to work. Oh, I gotta write this paper. I'm gonna write the paper and turn it in. Oh, hanging out with my friends tonight. And we're not aware of well, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Where's my capacity at? How are my relationships doing? And because we're not aware, we don't have the opportunity to then shift when we need to. If I'm aware that I am feeling pretty stressed and overwhelmed today, then maybe I can make a choice on my lunch break to go take a walk instead of scrolling on social media. And maybe because of my awareness, 
I make a choice that helps my mental health versus it just going on autopilot, like, oh, my phone's in front of me, I'm just going to scroll. And so that awareness is really, really key. When we're aware, then we can make choices that can steer us in the right direction. And what I have found as a believer is that when we pair that mindfulness or self-reflection or awareness time with our devotional life, it adds kind of a spiritual component to it as well. And it can be really um, kind of had it have an added layer of, of depth and power to it, where we can maybe even connect with with what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us as well. Like, hey, I think we might need to slow down and rest a little bit. Or like, hey, I think it's really important to get back to this habit or anything that God might be speaking to us through scripture or through a sermon we've been listening to or or just through our own kind of reflection of what's going on in our heart and minds. The Holy Spirit can kind of nudge us in a certain direction. And so we can blend this psychological concept with this spiritual concept. Um, and in this mindfulness practice, it's shown that it actually improves our physical health as well when we practice it on a regular basis. And so we're, it's kind of a whole person practice that I would say, hey, it's a simple step. Start there. And, and certainly if you, if you feel like you need some, act, some professional guidance, take that courageous step. You will not regret it. I have walked with people who seem to be in impossible situations. Is this ever going to get any better? Am I ever going to get out of this hole? And they have. They've gotten out of that hole and they're living lives that they really enjoy living. And they are healthy, still messy and imperfect, but very healthy, thriving individuals. And so I just encourage you to take that step if um, if you're struggling. And oh, that's yeah. so good. Well, Lisa, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, but also doing what you do because you're changing lives, like you just said, and you're seeing people experience personal breakthrough. And I think that it's incredible for the listener to be encouraged today to, to lean into that mindfulness. What do you want to adopt? That is something so small, but can become so tangible over time. And that is our minds. That is our awareness. That is a personal inventory of our souls and and I would say even in those moments, like I think what Elise is talking about is, wow, you get to look at, have I been setting goals? Have I been reaching my goals? Have I been spending time with my friends? Like what part of me is not being maintained properly? I don't want to say out of balance because we're never in balance. I swear it's a balancing is like a juggling act, but are we maintaining the things around us? And are we stewarding essentially what God has given us, stewarding our time, our talents, our treasures, our health, our body, our minds, and our souls. Like they're so interwoven and so connected. And there's so much power in the realization that man, I am messy and I'm not perfect, but I want to become a better version of myself and to take those five minutes, set a timer and take those thoughts captive. Any negative thoughts that we have about ourselves or the people around us, I would encourage you to, to take note of those and turn into something good. Even if it's a negative thought that you have, turn it into something good, turn into something positive. And Aliza, thank you so much for spending time with us and our audience with the FYI podcast. You are an incredible blessing to me and Josiah and um, to so many others. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to the FYI podcast.